the deal. This is, let me tell you what the dilemma was. Um, I was planning on doing a message today with uh, all of the questions that you submitted for the You Asked For It series. We picked the top four that, we were gonna, that we're going to do for the series, and my plan was to preach um, a five-minute message on all of the other ones. And I was going to just rapid fire all these questions. And uh, that was the plan. And, and so I went and I looked at what the other, the top five, six, seven, and eight were. And I'm going to tell you what they were. The, the fifth one was, what is God's will for my life? The sixth one was, how do I deal with difficult people? The seventh one was, how do I deal with disappointment? And the eighth one was, are we living in the last days? And so <clears throat> that was the plan. The plan was to do all of those. And then I realized something. Um, the fifth one though, so yeah, this was actually the fifth one was the one that we're going to do today, which is how do I read and understand the Bible? And I realized this real quickly. If I teach you how to read and understand the Bible, you'll get all those other ones answered. So you'll know the will of God. You'll know how to deal with difficult people. You'll know if you're living in the last days and uh, you'll know how to deal with disappointment. So we're going to knock all of them out in one message, uh, talking about how to read and understand God's word. So if you're with me, uh, let's turn to John chapter eight. Uh, You got there in your notes. We'll put it on the screen for you and, uh, and we'll, we'll start in this verse. This is where we're going to begin today. So John chapter eight, starting in verse 31, it says this, it says, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, You are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you will hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then you will know. That word know is the Greek word for gnosko, which actually means that not that you'll know up in here, but that you'll know down in here God's truth. And this is what he says. If you'll know my truth in here, here's the promise that this truth will set you free. So our desire today is I'm going to teach you how to hold God's word in here. Not in here, but in here so that you can be set free. How many say, give me a little of that? Okay, all right. And so let me give you a couple little Bible facts before we go any any further. Because I know we have a lot of people here that are are brand new to the faith. And also a lot of you here that were never really raised on how to read your Bible. How many of you in here would be honest and say, when it comes to Bible reading, you're kind of at an amateur level. You you haven't been taught a lot on how to read the Bible. Raise your hand. Okay. Wow. Okay. All right. A lot of people. So let me, let's, let's start from the beginning. Okay. Uh, This is the Bible. Um, Got that one? All right, okay. Um, it's, it's made up of 66 books. Um, 40 of them are in the Old Testament, divided in two parts, Old Testament, New Testament. 40 of them are in the Old Testament. 26 of them are in the New Testament. It was written over a period of 1,600 years. Over 1,600 years, the Bible was written in over a dozen countries on three different continents by 40 different authors, uh, writers. One author, his name is God. There are right now 6,900 languages in the world. The Bible has been translated into 1,300 of them. Um, There are right now 80 to 100 million Bibles printed every year. Now think about this, hold on. 80 to 100 million Bibles are printed every year. There is an estimated 6 billion Bibles in the world. 6 billion. 80 to 100 million Bibles that are printed every year. Let me give you um, a little bit of perspective on this. The top five, if you were going to be in the top five on Amazon, the best-selling top five books, you would need to sell about 4,000 books a day. If you wanted to be in the top five on Amazon, you would need to sell about 4,000 books a day. Harry Potter sold 107 million copies since 1997. 107 million copies of Harry Potter have been sold in the last 19 years. Now, 
But think about this. That, that would give you about 104 million books you're sold each month. So this is what it says. Look, let's say there are 80 million copies. So we said there's 80 to 100 million that are printed Bibles every year. Let's go with the low number. 80 million Bibles that are printed every year. If you divide that by 365 days, that means that there are 219,000 Bibles sold a day. 219,000 Bibles are sold a day. So listen, this is not just a regular book. If you want to be an Amazon, you got to sell, what is that, 4,000 books a day. And this sells 219,000 a day. So we're not just talking about any normal book. Surveys show that 88% of people in America own a Bible. Almost 9 out of 10 own a Bible in their home. But yet when you continue the survey, you find out that 19% of Christians actually read their Bible on a daily basis. 19%, that's not even 2 out of 10, read their Bibles on a consistent basis. They did a survey, 12% of people thought that Joan of Arc was actually Noah's wife. That's how biblical illiterate we are. Joan of Arc, oh yeah, that's Noah's wife. No, it's not. It's not Noah's wife. So... So here's the deal. So we have a lot of Bibles being printed. 90% of people have a Bible in their home. And yet only 2 out of 10 are actually reading it. We, got a, we have a disconnect here on the amount of Bibles that are being published and produced. And then the amount of people that are actually reading it and consuming it. We got a disconnect there. And so my goal today is to help us bridge that disconnect. And, and, and my greater goal is to get us to be the 90% that are reading it every day. And I'm going to show you how. It's going to be actually real simple on how we do that. But here's the first thing. And if you're going to take some notes, let's, let's take some notes here. Here's the very first thing we've got to start off with when it comes to the Bible is we, ha- we have to make it the foundation of my life. You and I have to make the Bible the foundation of our life. Everything in your life is built on a foundation. Everything. Your marriage is built on a certain type of foundation. Your parenting, your finances are built on a foundation. Everything's built on a foundation. You don't see the foundation. Normally the foundation is unseen, but the structure of how well a building is built and how high it can go is based off of the foundation that it's built on. And all of us have Something that we're building our lives on. There is a foundation. Everybody in here has a foundation. The question, though, is, is the Bible the foundation or not? We're going to get into that in just a minute. You'll be able to know in just a minute if the Bible is your foundation or if it's not. But the quality of the structure is dependent on the foundation that is built. Let's go to the Word and let's see that actually played out in Scripture. So Matthew chapter 7, and this is what Jesus says. He says, everyone who, what's that word? Hears, okay? Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Okay, so you hear the word of God, you practice the word of God, and by doing that, he refers to you as a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Now, you'll see, and if you go and you read the rest of the story, there's a, there's a man who's called a foolish man who hears the word of God, but doesn't obey it. And he says he builds his house on, anybody know? Sam. And so if you fast forward the next verse, I don't have it on here, but verse 25 then says this, trust me, there is coming storms. And when storms come, the greatest way to determine on what your house has been built on is when a storm comes. 
You find out real quickly what, you've been, what your house has been built on by a storm or a flood. <laughs> Put it into our terms. So real quickly in our lives, you can determine real quick what your life is built on when a, when a storm hits, when you lose your job, when a, a child gets sick, when your marriage is rocky, when things don't go as predicted. You find out real quick what you've put your hope in and what you've built your life on when that. It's easy to say you build your house on the rock when everything's good. It's when the storm comes. Y'all with me? So storms reveal the foundation. They reveal your foundation of what you put on. This says when you hear the word and you do it, you'll be built on a rock. So my desire and Pastor Bubba, our goal as your pastors is this. This year, if you haven't yet already, you will face storms. A lot of you have already faced a lot of them already leading into this year. A lot of you have, here's the truth. You're either in a storm, you just got out of a storm, or you're about to go into a storm. You're in one of those three seasons right now. Everybody is in one of those. So if you're not in one now, just wait a little longer. You're going to be in one. So our goal as, as your pastors is just to help you not fall. That's our goal. We want you to build a strong foundation on the word of God. So we've got to make it the foundation of our life. So this is what I want to do. I want to give the reasons why I think we don't build it, our foundations on the Bible. And I'm going to give you, I think, four of them. I think I have four of them. But four things that I've heard from people, these are legitimate things that people have said to me on why the Bible is really not that big of a deal in their life. And uh, maybe some of you have said these as well. And so this is an opportunity for us as we go through this, through this message and through these uh, scriptures for you to do some evaluation on where you are. So here, let's, let's go with the first one. First reason why we don't build our lives on the Bible. First one, I don't have time for it. I don't have time for it. This is probably one of the biggest ones that I get all the time. Man, you know, I know I need to be in the Word. I just don't have any time. Um, And I hear this all the time. And have you ever noticed that when life is busy, the first thing to go is your quiet time with the Lord? Have you ever noticed that? The very first thing that goes when you get busy is your time with God. Do you think that's by chance? The enemy knows that. Remember last, last Sunday I said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you He'll make you busy. He'll make you busy because he knows if he can make you busy, then you're not going to spend time with God. And if you don't spend time with God, it's, your life's not going to be built on, on the word. And so this is a part of our lives where we realize, like, ah, I just don't have time. I don't have time to do it. Um, for many of you that know, uh, this past year I started something that I'd never done before, which is I started working out. I knew I needed to work out. I knew it was important. It was something that Lindsay was always reminding me, you need to work out. You need to, I want to keep you around for a long time. I knew it in my head. I knew it in my body that if I would work out, I'd feel better because I was starting to not, not even feel good. I was getting lazy. All these things were happening. My pants weren't buckling, if we're being honest. I know, go figure, you didn't think it with me, but it's true. Um, I was having to, un- anyways, that's probably a little TMI. Um, but it was starting to get pretty bad. And I realized, and here was my excuse. I don't have time. I don't have time to go work out. I mean, I work like I work, and I got stuff at night, and I get up in the morning, and I got this going on, I got this going on. And I always found some type of excuse to say that I was too busy to go do this. And then I realized this. I make time for what I treasure. Whatever I love, I make time for. And, and it's amazing how if it's something that I really want to do, I seem to have an ability to rearrange my schedule to fit it in. Um, 
And then I realized just real quick that that was something that if if this was going to be a priority in my life, I was going to have to rearrange my schedule to make it a priority in what I do. So Lindsay and I had to start getting our schedules together so she could work out, so I could work out. We rearranged everything to make it a priority in our lives. And I realized, you know what, that's the same thing when it comes to the Word of God. We all say that we're really busy. But it seems like we have a ton enough time to know what's going on in the media. We know what's going on in the news. We know what's going on with our favorite team. We know exactly what's going on. Well, how did you find the time for that? Well, we found the time for that because we make the time for the things that we love the most. Y'all with me here? I know this ain't going to feel good. I'm going to step all over your toes. But I'm going to tell you right now, you make time for what you love the most because discipline takes effort. And how many know none of us like the word discipline or effort? <laughs> those are like curse words. We don't like either one of those. And I learned more than anything that it's not that I don't have time to. It's I don't have time not to when it comes to the word of God. Let me show you what scripture says. We all know this verse, Matthew six thirty three. But seek, what's that word? First. Seek what? First. Seek what? First. first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. The first things, listen to me very closely. The first things are really important to God. First things are huge to God. God says, listen, I want, church is on Sunday, which is the, actually the first day of the week. Notice he says, what does he want you to give in the offering? Your tithe, which is your first 10% of what you have. First are a huge thing all throughout scriptures. God wants the first. What ends up happening is when we're busy, God gets leftovers and we give first to something else. So Matthew 6 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So let me give you some action steps because I don't like any messages that are not practical that you can't, you can't live out. So the excuse is I don't have time. But let me give you some action steps on, on how we can create and make time. Here's, the, here's, here's your action step. Is that we've got to give God the first part of our day. We've got to give God the first part of our day. This is what I'd like to call the first 15. I'm gonna, let me introduce you to the first 15. For those that are in here that you just you don't even know where to begin. You don't know how, how to start reading. Let me give you some real simple tips. The first 15 is this. First 15 is five minutes in the Word. Five minutes, okay? Five minutes in the Word. Um, you, can, you can actually have an actual Bible. We'll talk about this in a minute. There's, a, there's Bible apps that are out there for you. But let's not, let me put it this way. Let's not let social media be the first. Let's let God be the first. Let's let when we get up, let, not let news be the first. Let's let God be the first. First five minutes. First five minutes in the Word. Spending it in the Word. Five minutes it could honestly be one, one verse. It could be uh, a chapter. It depends on how fast you read. I just, how, how many can do, I can do five minutes. Five minutes. Now you'll build and progress as time goes, but let's start with five. Five minutes, I'm going to tell you right now, five minutes in the Word in the beginning will do something for you. Five minutes in God's Word. Here's the second thing. Five minutes in worship. So we do five minutes in the Word. We do five minutes in worship. I don't know about y'all, but man, when I listen to worship music or if I, man, I can just, I could, I can wake up as a savage beast. Anybody in here? And you're like, what side of the bed did you wake up on? Any of y'all? Okay. I'm not going to have you wave your hand or point to your spouse or anything. Uh, But I know that I can wake up kind of fleshly 
at times in the flesh, and I can be, and man, I'm going to tell you right now, one, one worship song can just soothe that beast. It just soothes the beast in my heart. Man, I'm just mad, and I'm this, and I'm that, and just one little thing of worship can just kick me into a, a different gear, a different mindset, a different mode. And so five minutes in the Word, five minutes of worship. Let me, and, and here's the deal. We're going to help you with all of these, by the way. Um, if you, and maybe you can ask your kids about this. There is an app called Spotify. If you don't know what it is, go look it up. It's an app called Spotify. And we have, if you go type in in the search bar, Our Savior's Church, we have a playlist with all of the songs that we do here at our church. Just for you. You're welcome. And, and you can just go and just click on whichever one you want and just let it just go. It's a, it's a free thing. You can just go and get it. That's totally just for you. Find a song. Find a CD. Find something. Everybody's probably got that go-to song, too. You just put that go-to song, and it's like the Hulk goes back to Bruce Banner. Okay? Everybody's got that. I got one of those. I got, I got a song that I just put on, or my boys put on whenever. <laughs> just put it on. Okay? I, I'm telling you, there's something about when we get our focus off in the first beginning of the morning, put it in the Word, put it on God, focus on Him, not on all the stuff you got going on today, because we know you got a lot. Let's start it in the word. Let's start it in worship. And let me give you the last one. Five minutes in prayer. Five minutes in the word. Five minutes in worship. Five minutes in prayer. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Now watch this. You say, man, I don't know how to pray. And I know a lot of you. I, man, I get that a lot, man. I don't know how to pray. I understand. First off, we have a pray first book that is for free. We give you. It's an orange book. It's out there in the lobby. Go grab it. It's got prayers written for you already that you can pray just to get you in the habit. It's got places for you to write prayer requests. Throw that back up, Philippians 4, 6. Let me show you. Here's, here's the outline to pray. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. Now, this is what you need to do. It's two steps. Thanksgiving and present your request. There's your prayer. Five minutes of God, thank you. Spend two and a half minutes just thanking him. Here's the deal. The things that we don't we aren't thankful for, we think we're entitled to. So you better be thankful for it. Have you ever noticed when you're not thankful for your spouse, you feel like you're entitled to them and then you get critical of them? But how do you know you can't be critical and thankful at the same time? So if you're thankful for your spouse, you're thankful for your kids, you're thankful for your job, you just get up in the morning and just go, thank you, God. Thank you, I'm up. Thank you that I'm breathing. Thank you that I'm healthy. Thank you that I... Can, how many people can spend two minutes thanking God for what they have? Just go around the house, just start pointing at things. Thank you for that blender. Thank you for that, thank you for that oven. Thank you for that car. Thank you for, y'all, y'all with me here? Just start thanking people. Thank you, kids. Thank you for waking up. Thank you for this waffle I'm about to eat. Thank you. Just begin thanking God for what he is. And then it says, present your request to God. So God, I thank you for what I have today. Here's, here's, here's the deal though. I'm going to need you today. Because I'm, I'm looking after these kids, and I'm going to need you. They're your kids, by the way. Just want to let you know you blessed me with them. And I'm going to need you today. I need your grace. All right, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm working with these patients, and I need you. And I need patience with these patients. And I need whatever that is. But you just present five minutes. Come on, how many say you can do five minutes? Five minutes. You can almost hold your breath for that long, okay? Five minutes. Don't try it. You'll die. Five minutes. Five in the word, five in worship, five, five in prayer. Okay, listen, try me, try me tomorrow morning. Here's, let me show you how you're going to do this. You're going to get up 15 minutes earlier than you normally do. So you can give that 15 minutes, that first part to God. 
And you're going to do five minutes in the Word. You're going to do five minutes in worship. You're going to do five minutes in prayer. And I'm telling you right now, here's, here's, here's what's going to happen. Show the next part of that verse. If we will start it with Thanksgiving and you'll start it with presenting your request to God, here's what happens. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. Who doesn't want some of that? I want some of that. So you're saying, Pastor Josh, you mean if I give God 15 minutes, my life can change? Yes. Yes, it can. And because here's what's going to happen. You're going to start it with 15, but you're not going to end it with 15. That would be like me saying, go spend 15 minutes with your wife. You may do it for a little while, but eventually your love's going to grow and you're going to want to spend all day with them. It's gonna, it, you see what I'm saying? There's just going to be this thing. We'll get to that in a minute. Test me on it. So Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 says this. Look at Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. What's that word? Richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, I have a, uh, I have a prop. I'm going to show you how this works. So I want you to imagine this is you. This is your soul. It's a, it's a thing of hot water. And I want you to imagine that this is the word of God. Okay. And the desire is, based off of this verse here, to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So some of you, most of you, all of you, come here to church on Sundays. That's, that's about what you got right there. And I wish my sermons probably worked a little bit more, but that's about, that's about all you get. And then, then you come another Sunday and you get in here and, and it starts starts doing a little working in your life and you realize that you're going to let the word of God dwell in you richly and you get in here some more and see if I can push it down. There we go. And then you notice that it's starting. Now, this isn't yet, this isn't tea. Some nasty water right now. That's about all that it is. But what ends up happening is we come on Sundays and we get a little, we get, we get, get, get it to dwell in us a little bit and then, then, we, get, then we get back out. That's what it is, yeah. Then we come on another Sunday and we get, we get a little bit, but, but then we hurry up and get, get right back out. And here's my desire. Listen to me very closely. My desire is that you would let the Word of God dwell in you richly and that you would just keep dipping. Just keep dipping in the Word. Just keep dipping in the Word. And you're going to notice something. You're going to notice that your attitude starts changing and I can kind of smell a little different. You smell a little different. Hmm, got a little more fragrance to you. And you're just going to just notice, man, you're, you're, you're changing. And the things that were in you are no longer in you. And now we're getting somewhere. You with me? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Richly. If you just hurry up, dip in and hurry up, get out. A lot of people deal with this on Sunday. They deal, they deal with what I call biblical bulimia. Biblical bulimia. So what it means, what I, what I mean by this is they take in a message and before, before they even leave the parking lot, they throw it up on the sidewalk before it can actually hit their heart. That's what ends up happening. It's biblical bulimia. They take in the word and before it can actually do anything in their heart, they hurry up and throw, throw it up and then they go back to their lives. And we live in one of two ways. You got either biblical bulimia or got biblical anorexia where you don't spend any time in the word. And you're like malnourished, malnourished, or it's the biblical bulimia where you hear the word of God, but you don't ever let it actually soak into your heart and you just spit it out before it ever can do anything. Y'all with me? Okay. 
So first 15, first 15. So I don't have time for it, but our action step is, you know what, I do have time for it, and I'm going to give God the first part of my day. Maybe the first part doesn't work. Maybe you need to do lunch. Maybe you need to do, but figure it out, okay? This isn't, this isn't rules. This is tools, okay? Not rules, it's tools. I'm trying to help you. Here's the second thing that I hear often from people is, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. So when it comes to the Bible, I just don't, I don't really understand it. Let me show you this, uh, this quote I found from this guy named Soren Kierkegaard. That's a name right there. Soren Kierkegaard. You know, if you've got a name like that, it's got to be good. So this is what he, look what he says. The Bible is easy to understand, but we Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand, we are obligated to act accordingly. Amen. Ain't that the truth? I don't understand it. Yeah, you do. Don't let any corrupt things come out of your mouth. I don't understand what that says. It means don't cuss. I don't know. Yeah, you do because you know as soon as you understand it, now you got to do it. So if we can play the game, I don't understand it, then I don't have to live by it. And listen, there are parts of the Bible that are difficult to understand. And I'm not trying to paint over that with the broad brush. There are things in our lives that are are, uh, things in the Bible that are a little bit difficult to understand. And and, uh, that is the case. But I will be honest with you, I think a lot of the Bible is very simple and very easy to understand. And I've learned this, that I don't have to understand it to agree with it. Because how many know there's a lot of things that God says that I just don't understand why he does it? How many know his ways are higher and he thinks much different and he sees beyond what I see? And so when he says it this way, just because I don't see it, how many of you told your kids to do something and they go, why? And you go, because I said so. And they said, why? And you said, because I'm your parent. And they say, why? And you said, I'm about to beat you. You just better obey. And they say, why? (laughs) Because you know something, you see something that they don't see, and you're just telling them, I just want you to obey. I don't even know if I'm going to tell you why. I may tell you why, but I may not. And the truth is, you need to just trust me that I know more than you do. But as kids, they think they know more than we do. But man, I don't want to believe in a God who can only fit in this brain, by the way. If God only fits in this little brain, you don't want to worship that God. And so we have this idea of we don't understand it. And I love what Mark Twain said. Look, here's another, another little quote. Mark Twain said this. It ain't the parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. Those are the ones that bother me. There's a lot of scripture that bother me. So here's your action step. Let me give you a, a, an action step. Fill in these, fill in these things here. Get a translation that I understand. Get in a life group. This is, this is huge, and I'm going I'm to help you with this. Get a translation that I understand and get in a life group. A lot of people say, man, why is there so many versions of the Bible? There's like 30 versions of the Bible. Like, which one's the right version, and how do we do Well, here's the deal. The Bible is not written in English. Uh, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. The very first written Bible was King James Version in English. It was written in 1611 um, in England. That's where you got the these and the thous and thouest and all that stuff, okay? Which, by the way, there's a lot of people that say if you don't read King James Version, then you're not really reading the Bible. By the way, I just want to let you know Jesus is not English. 
He's not English. He didn't say these and vowels. Um, it was Hebrew and Greek, and that was just the first translation. And so you get a bunch of translations that came after that. And there's three types of translations, and I want to help you here. This is where I'm going to teach you a little bit. There's three types of translations of the Bible. Um, the very first word is what's called a formal translation. A formal translation is word for word, meaning that they took the Greek in the New Testament, and they tried to find the word that was exactly synonymous with that word. So if it, was, if, it, if it meant cow in Greek, they're going to say cow in English. If it meant help in Greek, they're going to say help in English. So they do a word-for-word translation. So you're going to get translations like the, K, the KJV, the King James Version, the New King James Version, the NASB, which is the New American Standard, and then the ESB, which is the English Standard Version. All of those are word-for-word translations. I use the ESV. I preach from it a lot, and I study with the ESV personally. It's a word for word because I like to study word for word. But when I do my devotions, I like to do what is the next type of translations, and that is functional translations. So there's formal translation. It's a word for word. Then there's functional translations, and that is thought for thought. So they don't technically take the word and do it exactly to what that word is. They're just trying to get the thought of what that passage is trying to say, and then they they convert it and translate it into a thought, and it's usually often in a little bit more of a modern language. So you're going to get an NLT, which is a lot I preach from as well. Pastor Bella preaches from NLT. That's New Living Translation. Uh, the NIV, which is the New International Version, and the TEV, which is today's English Version. There's actually a couple other ones out there. We'd spend all day trying to do that. Let me show you something real quick. I just skipped over it. I want to show you the different translations, though. I'm going to show you how they work. So uh, put up the King James Version. Okay, so here's the King James version, the word for word, based off of the English. Charity suffereth not. And I feel like you have to speak like English when you do it. And it is kind. And charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth. How many said vaunteth lately? Vaunteth not itself is not puffed up. Y'all got that? Y'all got that? Okay. All right. You read that. You're like, Yes. Some of you, hey, how many of you grew up with a KJV? Anybody here? I grew up with a little KJV. Some of my, some of my, my scriptures that I remember were KJV. My, I had to memorize scriptures in uh, private school in KJV with the thousand beast. Okay, let me show you what the NIV translation of this same one. This is what NIV says. Love is patient. Now you're like, oh, that's what it was? Okay, y'all didn't even know that's what the verse was. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Okay. So that is, yeah, you got that. Okay. I understand that a little bit more. Okay. All right. So that is the functional translation. Let me give you the last one. The last one is paraphrase translation. And this is um, the message Bible or the living Bible. Uh, Those two Bibles are paraphrased, meaning that they just took just ideas of what this, the author was trying to say, and they just paraphrased it. And so let me now show you 1 Corinthians 13 in the message. And I like preaching from the message sometimes because it just gives us a different viewpoint. And this is what 1 Corinthians says. Love never gives up. I feel like you got to talk like that too. Love never cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't, it's the message. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Come on, how many like you preaching my language now? It don't strut. It don't have a swelled head. Okay. So this is the message translation. 
Now, so I study with the word for word because I'd like to know what the Greek actually meant. But I devotion in the functional and the paraphrase oftentimes. So um, let, me, let me give you a couple of good uh, Bibles that you can actually buy. Which, by the way, if you study in the King James, great. N- Listen, there's no Bible that's bad. People ask me, what's the best Bible? The one that you like, that's the best Bible. The one that you can understand, that's the best Bible. And so if you don't understand Scripture, get a Bible that you can't understand. But I would encourage you with this to get not only just a Bible, to get a study Bible. If there's anything I can really encourage you with is to get a study Bible. A study Bible is going to have footnotes at the bottom and it's going to explain what you're reading. At the beginning of every book, it's going to explain who's writing the book and where they're writing and what year it is and all these different things. If you get just a regular Bible and you don't have all that, you could be a little lost. And so I would encourage you, uh, they have the NIV Zondervan Study Bible. I'll, I'll, I'll share something. Don't, you don't have to write all this down. I'll share this on our Facebook page for you, okay? Uh, NLT Life Application Bible, the ESV Study Bible. Here's a real cool one, John Maxwell Leadership Bible. It's got, a, it's got the verses, and then it has a leadership lesson right alongside of it for like coaches or business people that want to do a Bible study. Um, if you have kids, we've used this at our house. The Jesus Storybook Bible is amazing. We actually have them out in the foyer. It's the best Bible, I think, for kids ages 2 to 11, 12 years old. It's great. Um, it shares all about Jesus. Um, so that is the Bibles. Um, uh, also I would share with this is to have a journal next to you when you read your Bible or a, an app or something where you can type out notes. When God speaks to you, you want to document what that is, highlight what it is. I actually have a journaling Bible. And so you'll see like in my Bible, like there's an actual journal page. There's pages on the side where I can write on the side. So I would encourage you to get something where you can write things down because um, if God's going to give it to you, you don't want to forget it, right? So if you don't write it down, you forget it. So I would encourage you as you're reading the Bible to have pen, have paper. Um, it's okay to mark up your Bible, by the way. There's nothing sacred about the Bible. But you don't want to mark up the Bible. You want the Bible to mark up you. That's the goal. Okay. All right. Let's keep moving. John fourteen seventeen. So this is yet again in regards to those who say, I can't understand it. Here's the great truth that Jesus has. He is the Holy Spirit and he leads you into all truth. So this is the great thing is that he leads you into truth. And so the action step that I had for you was to get a translation that you like and then also to get into a life group. I'm telling you right now, if you're not in a life group, you need to get in one. And the reason why you need to get in one is because you need to get around other people who can understand the Bible and maybe understand a little bit more than you do and they'll help you understand it. And so you need to get around people where you can discuss scriptures and go, man, I don't really understand that. And they go, here, let me help you. That's what life groups are all about. So we can take these messages that you hear on Sundays and Wednesdays and then apply it to your lives. And so that's it. Okay, here's the next excuse or reason that we hear all the time. I think it's irrelevant to my life. I think it's irrelevant to my life. People think the Bible is irrelevant to our lives. Well, let me, let me share a scripture with you. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says the word of God is, what's that word? Alive and the word of God is alive and powerful. People that say that the Bible is irrelevant to the life don't realize that you are in a fight. And if you're in a fight, you better learn how to fight. And the word of God is one of the best things for us to learn how to fight. All throughout scriptures, actually, the Bible doesn't call it a quiet time. It actually calls it war. <laughs> We're spending time with God because we are in a war. If you don't believe me, let me show you. Ephesians six thirteen says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes. Remember, so storms are coming. Things are coming your way. When the day of evil comes, it's coming. You may be able to stand your ground that you won't fall. And here's how you're going to do it. Verse 17, you're going to take the sword of the spirit, which is what? 
which is the word of God. Ephesians six seventeen. Here's the message. Here's a different translation. Uh, here, here's, listen to how it says it in the message. It says this. It says, God's word is an indispensable weapon. So here's your action point. Let me tell you what your action point is. When it, we think about, oh, it's, it's just irrelevant in my life. No, it's not. Let me tell you. Here's your action step. You need to make it a weapon to combat Satan's lies. How many you know we hear lies every single day from Satan? We hear them all the time in surround sound. There's always these lies that are coming our way. And we need to learn to take this and use this as a weapon. We have to make a weapon with this. This is a sword. Notice how the enemy fights. The Bible describes that the enemy shoots fiery darts at you. You know why he does that? Because he doesn't get close to you. He's like a little wimp. He's like pew. He's like hiding behind things. Pew, pew. And notice that God doesn't give you fiery darts to shoot back at him. Pew, pew. What does he do? He gives you a sword. And he says, oh, by the way, if you want to use this sword, you can't do it from a distance. You got to get real close to the devil. You got to get real close to him. But this is a sword. And you need to learn how to wield this thing. People that say that the Bible is irrelevant to their lives don't realize that the Bible is a sword. It's a gift. It's given to you when you face stuff in your life that you can be able to say things. Like when your finances are all jacked up and you go, Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. And then when fear jumps off on you and you go, Psalms 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. In whom shall I fear? When sickness wants to jump on you, say Psalms 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, who forgives all my sins and heals all of my diseases. Amen. Come on, y'all with me? You got to learn how to wield this thing. This is a sword that you use. When you're under attack, you say First John 4, 4, Greater is he who is in me than he that is in this world. When snakes show up on your property, you say Luke 10, 19, I've been given authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. I spoke that one last week. And when you go to the dentist, you say, crown him with many crowns. Actually, there really is a dentist one. Psalms 81. Open wide thy mouth and I will fill it. (laughs) That's what you should say. (laughs) So listen, you need to take the word of God and apply it to every lie that the enemy is saying to you. So you, you, you don't know what you're going to do. You're going to, you're going to quote the word. Hey, Jesus did it. When Satan came and tried to tempt him, he said, it is written. And then he spoke the word three different times in Matthew chapter 4. If Jesus uses the sword, you better learn how to use the sword. Because if not, you're going to get beat. You're going to get beat down. And that's how you're going to fall. So we got to realize that it's not irrelevant to our lives. This is very practical to our lives. You hear this word and it changes us. Here's the last one. So let's go back over them. I don't have time for it. But what we're going to do is we're going to give God the first part of our day. We say, well, I, I, I don't understand it. Well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to get a translation we do understand. And then we're going to get in a life group with people that we can help learn from. And you say, well, the Bible's it's irrelevant in my life. I don't feel like it's practical to me. Well, no, it really is practical. And if you would learn that you could use it as a weapon to fight every lie of the enemy, it would no longer be irrelevant. It would be very practical. And then the last one is I don't like what it says. I think this is the really this is the truth. This is the hardest one. But I think this is really the big one. I don't like what it says. That's right. When I was a kid, one of our favorite places to go whenever um, it was Friday nights 
was we would love to go, when I lived in Houston, to Golden Corral. I know, fine dining. Um, Golden Corral was like the bomb. I mean, it was like Ryan's. It's exactly like it, except better rolls. And um, y'all know about Golden Corral, right? I mean, like endless buffet of... By the way, if there's anything that's got Chinese pizza, chicken, steak... Um, all that, just stay away. <laughs> um, but anyways, it was good. I enjoyed it. I liked it. And here's the thing that I love about a buffet is they give you a plate and then they go, just pick whatever you want. And so like I, I throw it on the macaroni and cheese with extra cheese. That's what you have to do with the big roll that you dip the cheese in. I got a slice of pizza. I got a little bit of meat on this side. And I don't even know if I had a vegetable anywhere on my plate. That was my plate. And I ate tons of them. And then ice cream after. That's, that's required with sprinkles. Um, I, I love that. I could go and choose what I wanted and leave what I don't want. And I think many Christians go to the Bible like that. The Bible is their golden corral. So they take the things off of the Bible that they enjoy... And they say the other things that they don't like, I don't want that. And we get to handpick, we feel like we get to handpick what we like. Oh, blessings from God, I'll take a little of that. Healings, ooh, I'll take a little bit of that. Forgiveness, I'll take a second helping of that. Hey, do your marriage this way. Mm, I don't really like that one. Hey, treat your boss with respect. Mm, I don't really like that one either. Hey, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Mm, not good on that one either. Hey, yep, it happens. And we pick and choose the parts that we want to obey and we leave the ones we don't. The Bible's not golden corral. You either take it all or you leave it all. There is no parts. And most people don't want to read it because they don't like what it says. And here's why. Second Timothy chapter three, and we'll wrap it all up. Look what it says. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful. Now watch this. It's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. That's the part we don't like. It's going to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. I don't like that part. I like to think that I've got it all going on and that everything's good. But the word of God is going to teach you what is true. It's going to make you realize what is wrong. And then here's the thing that we really don't like and it corrects us. When we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. But I've learned this, is that you don't have to like it to obey it. God's called us to obey his word, even the hard, very difficult parts. You mean like turn the cheek? Yeah. You mean like don't repay evil for evil? Yeah, that part. You mean like to speak kindly of people? Yeah, that part. You mean like the part that I have to forgive somebody who shouldn't be forgiven? Yeah, that part too. Most of us don't want that part. But that's the part that you need. That's what the scripture does. So this is what we're going to do. Here's your action step. We're going to close it all with this. Here's your action step. Is to get to know Jesus more. If, if I had a big puzzle up here. I love puzzles, by the way. I love them. Um, uh, it's something I grew up doing with my grandma and I absolutely love doing it. 
But one of the things about a puzzle that makes a puzzle work is you take the puzzle, you open it up, you dump it all out, and of course you, you do all the edges first, okay? And just I'm going to teach you, okay? You do all the borders first and get all that right, okay, get all that right. But here's what you do. You set up the box and you put it right by you and then you go and you start looking for the right colors, you start looking for all the things and you start separating the things based off of what the image is on the box. Imagine how it'd be to put together a puzzle if you didn't have the box. If they just dumped everything out on there, you didn't even know what it was. Just dumped it all out and said, here's a piece, now go find it. Like, what? It'd be very, very difficult. And this is what we do oftentimes with scriptures. We take one little piece from the scripture and we, we try to make it fit into what we want it to fit. But we need to look at the big picture. And here's, here's, here's what I'll tell you. This. When we look at the big picture of the Bible, not just 66 individual books. This is 66 individual books, but it's one big book. And guess what this one big book is about? Jesus. In the Old Testament, it's about Jesus. In the New Testament, it's about Jesus. In Exodus, it's about Jesus. In Revelations, it's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And when you look at the big picture on the box, it would say Jesus. And you go in, you look in all these little parts in here, and you're trying to look for like rules and stuff. It's not about rules. It's about Jesus. That God wants you to be more and more like Jesus. Oh, you don't think so? Let me prove it to you. John chapter 5. I'm glad you'll ask all these questions. John chapter 5 verse 39 says, You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to who? Jesus. See, you, you search the scriptures trying to find all the rules of what I should and shouldn't do. It's not about rules. It's a love letter about a man who loves you deeply and wants the best for you. The rules that he gives us is not for, for our... Uh, for us to be like, oh, I hate rules. It's for our enjoyment. When he says do marriage this way, it's so you will enjoy life and have joy. When he says do your money this way, it's so you can find the greatest joy in Jesus. Jesus knows what he's doing. So at the end of the day, when we say, I don't like what it says, we're going to make the action step. I'm going to just get to know Jesus more. Because when I get to know Jesus more, I want to obey more. When I understand the heart of the Father, I want to do what he wants. See, because when you don't trust somebody, you don't do what they say. But when you trust them, you'll do what they say, right? So we're going to get to know them. And here's your last verse, Psalms 119. Look at this. This is the longest chapter in all the Bible, and it's actually all about the Bible. So if there's any good book to, or chapter to go read, go read this one. Psalms 119, verse 9 through 11 says, How can a young man stay on the path of purity? How are we going to stay pure in an impure world? When there's all this immorality that's going on around us and our nation and our culture is where it is, how are we going to stay pure? This is how you're going to stay pure. By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have, now watch this. I have hidden your word in where? In my heart. Not my head. I'm not just memorizing scripture. I'm not just reading to read. I'm taking your word and I'm putting it in my heart. And now when I do this, the byproduct of a person who has put the word of God in their hearts, guess, look what the byproduct is, that I might not sin against you. The Bible was never meant to be read. It was meant to be lived, people. It was never meant to be read. It was meant to be lived. And when we read this scripture, we realize that we become more like Jesus, not by the scripture we know, but by the scripture we do.
You become more like Jesus, not by the scriptures you know, but by the scriptures you do. I know people who don't know that much scripture that look more like Jesus than people who've known scripture for 30 years that look more like Satan. I'm telling you right now, it's not about how much scripture you know, it's how much scripture you live. That's how we become. And guess what? When you let the word of God dwell in you richly, now we got some tea. Now we got some tea. You're not a glass of water. You're a cup of tea now. You're not reading about Jesus. Guess what? As you get in this thing, you're becoming them. You're becoming them. How many say, come on, I want some of that. I want to pray for you today. You can sit there right there where you are, but I want you just to lift your hands right there where you are because, listen, I know if there's any attack of the enemy, it's going to get you in this area to try to put this off as this not a priority in our life. And I want to help you, and I want to pray for you that this would be a priority in all of our lives. So, Father, I pray right now, Lord, over your people today. God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. God, we thank you, Lord, for the thousands and thousands of people who died to get us this. And so, God, we want to treat this with the greatest weight in our lives, realizing that we will make this the foundation of our life, God. Lord, this will have the end say. When we don't care what it has to say, we'll say, God, you know what? If this is what you say, then that's what we're doing. I pray, God, that we would be men and women that are not led by the culture, that are not led by our own reasoning, that are not led by our own feelings, but we are led by the Spirit and the Word of God. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just stir in us a deeper desire and hunger for your Word. Not so that we can just read more books, but, God, so that we can spend more time with you. We can learn your heart. I pray that over your people today, God. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be men and women of the Word, that when storms come... We would be on the rock. God, when the, when the enemy comes, we'd have the sword of the Spirit, God. Lord, may that be us today. We love you tonight in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, 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 amen. amen. Hey, listen.